Blog Talk Radio. Um, year of his assassination. 
So I don't know if you folks have been following various news coverage or um, seeing various um, information out there in social media land, but certainly this weekend marked the 50th year of his assassination. So, folks, we're going to uh, raise the question today. We're going to raise the question today. 50 years since the assassination of Malcolm X, does his words still have relevance. Let's try that one more time. 50 years since the assassination of Malcolm X, does his words still have relevance? Folks, but before I go to the phone lines and get you guys to weigh in um, on that particular question, um, keep in mind that each and every week, if you're out there online, definitely go to my social media page, John Green, and join us as we have um, Launch On Me Tuesday as we endeavor to make you and um, keep you informed about various matters pertaining to insurance and things of that nature. We believe that um, it's important to be a informed consumer and support. It's important to make sure you have the necessary information um, to make wise choices where insurance is concerned. So again, join us online each and every Tuesdays for lunch on Me Tuesdays as we uh, raise questions surrounding insurance and things of that nature just to um, gauge you, gauge, gauge your level of understanding and seeing what you know about insurance, the various products that many of you uh, pay for on an annual basis. So if you're using your hard-earned money to uh, make these important purchases, I believe that it's certainly something that you should um, understand um, the importance of the product and what you're actually buying. For example, last week we, um, last Launch On Me Tuesday, we posed a question, you are driving home, a deer jump jumps out in front of your car, you hit the deer, the animal is okay, but your car is not. You call your insurance company on your cell phone and your car gets towed away. What coverage what coverage will your claim be handled under? A, collision, B, comprehensive, C, property damage, or D, uninsured motorist. Folks, that's the uh, question that was posed this past Tuesday or lunch on Me Tuesday. And um, think about it, folks, those of you who did not join us online on Tuesday, um, what, what would your answer be again to that question. If a deer was to jump out while you were driving and the deer caused damage to your particular car, A, will your car will, will your car get covered in the first place, right? Will there be coverage under your current insurance policy to handle the damages on your car? And if so, right, um, how would that claim get handled? Will it be handled under your collision coverage, your comprehensive coverage, your property damage coverage, or uninsured motorist coverage? So, folks, that's what we're talking about here on uh, MTAS Radio, um, and certainly as we engage you, um, just for participating, we always want to reward our participants for participating with um, um, with the gift, right? With the gift. So that's what we're talking about, folks. Um, that's what we're talking about here on MTAS Radio. Again, 718-508-9533, 718-508-9533. Folks, we're having a very important conversation today surrounding the 50, 50 years since the assassination of Malcolm X. Does his words still ring true? It was an article that I ran across um, on the Washington Post 
page on the Washington Post um, um, page, and one of the things that it one of the things that it points out here as we talk about uh, Malcolm X, I'm trying to get to it right now. You can find it on my on my Facebook page as well as the MTAS page. I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to point out a couple of things that it it talks about in reference to uh, Malcolm X. One of the things it talks about under the sub title and title putting differences aside making reference to um the evolutionary process if you will of malcolm x and um his public riff if you will uh with uh, uh martin king and one of the things it says here it says today's civil rights movement has struggled with public riffs younger protesters against older activists over tactics right some of the same uh conflict or uh, yeah, conflict that was even going on during Malcolm's Day and Mars Day, right? Uh, most of what was taking place in their conversation was over tactics and methods in which you use to accomplish a similar end. It says here, you can imagine Malcolm shaking his head and sighing. Once the rebel, towards the end of his life, he was seeking allies. He had differences with King and other leaders, but he wanted those differences to remain in the closet. Malcolm said in 1960. When we come out in front, let us not have anything to argue about until we get finished arguing with the man. That's um, That was Malcolm's thinking and his understanding. It was a dramatic shift, this piece points out. Malcolm had more than once implied that nonviolence was cowardly. He suggested that peaceful Southern protesters should meet the violence of white lawmen with self-defense. But he respected the grassroots sentiments there, and over time he respected his respect for King and Crease. They've been compared so often, but the men only met once, grip and grin for cameras as they passed in the Capitol Hill's hallway in March of 64 after observing a filibuster over the proposed Civil Rights Act. Um, this piece goes on to uh, make mention of several things here. It talked about um, how Malcolm began to take the conversation from that of being civil civil rights to um, human rights, um, actually raising the level of discussion and talking about the struggle and the challenges surrounding African Americans in this country, not just being a civil rights um, issue, but that of human rights. And he wanted to take um, the concerns of um, black Americans on a larger stage, and that is the world community. Um, now, it's further talks about how Malcolm began to reach out uh, further to King, writing him letters, and also inviting members of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee to speak to his followers in Harlem. Um, a couple of pieces I want to point out as this piece notes. Um, and one of the things that those of you who went out and saw Selma, you might you might have seen that scene in the movie Selma where Malcolm was talking to Mrs. King. Um, and this piece notes here, it says, local authorities wouldn't allow Malcolm to meet with King, who was in jail, but Malcolm did have a conversation that afternoon with Coretta Scott King. She was nervous, not knowing what to expect. He leaned over and here's a quote. He leaned over to me and said, "Mrs. King, I want to, I want you to tell your husband that I had that I had planned to visit him in jail here in Selma, but I won't be able to do it. I didn't come to Selma to make his job difficult, but I thought 
that if the white people understood what the alternative was, that they would be more inclined to listen to your husband. She recalled in, a, in the Eye on a Prize documentary series. You guys might have, uh, might remember that particular series um, that was aired on PBS. So um, as we talk about the relevance of Malcolm, whether or not his words still ring true today, I want you folks to think about. I want you folks to think about some of the things that um, some of the things that he stood for, some things he stood for uh, relative to education, his hard stance against um, police brutality, and things of that nature. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three seven one eight nine. I'm sorry, seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. Folks, I'm just clicking back and forth in my phone uh, on my Facebook page and forgetting the numbers here. But um, yeah, definitely want you folks to think about that as we engage. Here's what Ozzy Davis said in reference to Malcolm X. He said, "All of us sitting here tonight. This is when he eulogized Malcolm in February twenty seventh, nineteen sixty five, at Faith Temple Church of God um, in New York City. He said, "All of us sitting here tonight, men and women." Black and white can stand a little taller because a man like Malcolm X walked on earth, lived in our midst, smiled his smile, and the face of Harlem, said Ozzie Davis, who's an actor, who, who was an actor, director, writer, and social activist. Um, and that's interesting to note how he looked at Malcolm X, how he said all of us could walk a little bit taller because of what he represented and because of the... Um, the position that he he took, you know, and um, as I go to the phone lines and I gauge you guys today, as we remember Malcolm X 50 years later, I want you folks to think about, when you think about Malcolm, what is it about Malcolm? What is it about Malcolm the man? What is it about Malcolm and the principles in which he espoused um, that resonated with um, not only his generation, that civil rights generation, but um, the preceding generation, namely the hip-hop generation? A lot of times you find a lot of um, younger people who um, gravitate to his message, his messaging, and um, what he stood for, what he represented, and namely, folks, think about it. Um, does his message ring true today? Does his words ring true today? So how do you folks think about that as I come to the phone lines now? 718-508-9533. We're talking Malcolm X 50 years later. 312, I'm coming to the phone lines now. I don't know if that's Stephanie joining the conversation or what. Stephanie, is that you? It's Stephanie. How are you, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm a little tired, but I'm good. Okay, okay. Well, I definitely appreciate you joining the conversation and uh, helping us to remember Malcolm X and 50 years later, believe it or not, it was 50 years ago um, of his assassination. What comes to mind when you think about Malcolm X and uh, what is it about his teaching, his preaching, that um, you think so many people, um, uh, particularly in the African-American community, the hip-hop generation, uh, what is it about what he said or what he stood for that resonate with that generation? Um, well, what if, I mean, I'm going to say that Malcolm X pretty much, I'm not going to go into the cliches or things of that nature of he was a man that said A, B, and C. I think the thing about Malcolm X that made him pretty much connect with that generation and this generation as much as possible is that he was just like them. He actually 
shared similar background and similar stories with them, meaning that they didn't he did he wasn't necessarily the most educated, but at the same time he was able to do some things and he had a voice and he used it. And so that gave them some idea of being able to connect with him in that capacity. Now, what he did with that may be a little different compared to what most people are doing with it right now or even back then, but he he's a great example of showing you how you can use your, your use your issue and your um, problems in your life as a catalyst to move forward to do what you need to do regardless. And even in the midst of him being um, being part of the nation of Islam and moving forward with that, he was also very open-minded where he was not content. He was, everything was not contingent upon him what someone else says. He was open enough to be able to see if this is what, if it was what he needed to be, and he was able to walk away from it also. So when he saw the person he saw as his leader doing something that was against everything that that leader taught him, he was able to go and open himself to still be able to open himself to do and see different things and be able to walk away at the same time. And a lot of us don't do that. We tend to be able, we tend to close our eyes. Blind, walk, uh, follow blindly, and pretty much listen to someone else's voices instead of our own. And that was something that he was he was open to do so, and that's something that I believe that people should follow. I mean, not follow, but should recognize and understand and, and take lead to take um take some lead from. Yeah, no doubt about it. I um, I certainly get your point by way of um, of um, younger people in particular. Uh, in particular, those who have had some challenges, i.e., maybe they've had some uh, run-in with the criminal justice system and things of that nature, and um, how his figure—I mean, I certainly could could relate to um, growing up and having that whole evolutionary process of seeing a man who, um, I mean, his his his. His his process was not linear. I mean, he had some. He certainly had some setbacks, right? Um, I don't know how much time he um, spent in the penal system, but he did have that experience, and he used that as an um, opportunity or a catalyst towards change after he had his religious conversion and things of that nature. So I certainly um, get your point by way of how that actually resonate with uh, with some young people in the African American community, especially given that you have uh, fortunate. Unfortunately, you have a lot of young men who um, tend to travel that road. And sometimes upon traveling that road, that's when they begin to have some level of social consciousness, some type of social reawakening, the same as um, Brother Malcolm X. And I think you uh, make a very interesting point by way of um, even as he began to, um, although he had that religious experience, he didn't allow that to blind him. And I think that that's, um, that is a very, very important point that you made. In fact, here's what I'm, I'm reading a quote from Malcolm right here. It says there, um, he said, you are not supposed to be so blind with patriotism that you can't face reality. Wrong is wrong no matter who says it. So you, you talk about a man who... Um, who live by those type of principles, who 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 can make a statement like wrong is wrong no matter who says it, no matter who does it, even when you even to the point of 
um, him making the point of you can't be so blinded by your patriotism that you love this country so much or you love being an American so much that you're not willing to um, examine it or critique it and things of that nature. Um, so to that same degree, I guess he also was willing to critique, critique his own religion, critique his own faith and things of that sort. So I, I certainly get your point. There's another quote from Malcolm that I thought that was um, interesting too. He said, I'm for truth. No matter who tells it, I'm for justice, no matter who is for or against. What does that mean to you? You're asking what does that mean to me? Yeah, how does that, yeah, what does that mean to you, hearing those words from uh, Malcolm? It just pretty much goes back to what I said before, the fact that he was a man who stood on who he was, and he did not allow Blind, allow allow loyalty to blind him with that. Sometimes we can get to a point of being so caught up in just this membership, and I mean membership, not membership that we chose to be in. I'm talking about memberships that we are born into, like family and things of that nature, and also being part of this country. And sometimes we have to be able to call things what they are, call the things that are wrong in that in that situation, but also be able to see the good in that also and be able to make those decisions and decipher between the two. And, and, and those decisions are open to us. It's not going to be one-sided with us. It will be multiple. And that's what he – I believe that's what he was saying. Yeah, um, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. I um, I posted an article on my Facebook page as well um, entitled The Man Who Didn't Shoot Malcolm. It's a pretty lengthy piece, but uh, I read it this morning, but I thought it was a very interesting piece. And I think um, some of the points that this guy makes um, – I'm trying to find his name, but I was just calling Brother Khalil because that's his first name. Um, his um, the name he was his the name his mother named him. I can't find it as quickly as I would like to in this particular article. Well, this referred to him as um, Khalil. One of the things that he says here in reference to he talks about in this piece um, how he's falsely. Key- falsely accused. Um, the man did roughly about 20 years in, in, in a penitentiary. He maintained his innocence and this article points out uh, makes the point that he he kind of kept the faith. You know, he didn't allow bitterness to set in or anything of that nature. Um, he kind of maintained his 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 faith in Islam um, and things of that nature. Although he felt as though during this particular time he was thrown under the bus. One of the things that he make note of here, he says here, uh, it says that Khalil professes no animosity of being taken by Elijah Muhammad's bootleg Islam. He says, I had to start somewhere. So when I left the nation's teaching behind, I didn't feel betrayed. I felt like I was making progress, that I wasn't one of the dupes anymore. This is how Khalil looks at it. Education, here's a piece here that I think that's, that's critical. He said, education is an endless evolutionary struggle against natural abilities and stupidity, a constant process of pulling the covers off falsehoods. It is the process of most critical for American blacks, Khalil says, because most everything you hear is some kind of lie. In this way, he offers Elijah's partial absol- he offers Elijah partial absolution, since the way black people have been treated has been so outrageous that you needed a story 
just as outrageous to go against it. So what he, what he's actually pointing out here, he's pointing out some of the um, earlier teachings of the nation of Islam. He he's pointing to the fact of it wasn't until he actually went to prison that he began to go through this whole process of introspection where he began to question some of the teachings of the nation and some of uh, what they believe um, uh, what they believe scientifically what they believe mathematically and how people who were more who practiced had more orthodox beliefs to the same point you talked about about brother Malcolm they began to laugh at some of the um, teachings of the nation of of the nation and things of that nature, and um, and and what he gathered, what he gathered, what he walked away with is talking about the importance of education, and that he still had no animosity towards Elijah as a result of um, some of the falsehoods, the false teaching of Islam that was um, taught by Elijah as he as he perceived it. Um, can you speak a little bit about that? As you, I think you pointed to earlier in terms of the the whole conversion process of Malcolm and how he began to question some of his earlier belief and you made the connection to young people um to this day. Can you elaborate about can you elaborate on that even further? Um just his conversion and changing. Um I think that just like anybody who started off and when we first like say using the even the whole the whole idea of the born again experience. We are extremely excited. The one thing I realize and I notice about people is, is that you must continue to grow and you must evolve even in the midst of that newfound knowledge. If you don't, you're still there. If you're still not understanding what's going on, you're still taking just the information that someone gives to you. You're not taking the opportunity to open your eyes, seeing what's going on out there, even checking out other acts, even understanding other faiths sometimes just understands a, a way of evolving and understanding why certain things are out there. Even the idea of the agnostic and even the atheist faith, um, I wouldn't call it faith, but understanding, just understanding it, not saying that you must you must take part in that, just have an understanding in that. And I think the problem today is that we believe if we step outside and actually educate ourselves on others and things around us that and see things total opposite than what we've been taught, we we tend to believe that we're going against that very belief and we feel a, dis, a sense of disloyalty to, um, to that faith or anything else. So when he decided to start seeing outside of what the nation of Islam and, and seeing that the, the whole idea of Islam and what Islam was and is, and then you go and see others who don't look anything like what you've been seeing, at the, 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 the idea what you thought was, and then you see it and it's like totally different. It's rainbow of different colors and people of different creeds and and this ethnicities and things of that nature, you start to look at things differently. You start you're open. You don't see it as being a closed box boxed in type of um, faith or any other thing, yourself in general, you you open your eyes and you have to be an open-minded individual in order to do that. And he proved that he had evolved as a person to understand that Malcolm, Malcolm, um, Malcolm Drew, um, King was not an enemy. Yes, they had different ways of thinking, but they were on the same path. They wanted, they wanted equality for both of their people. And it wasn't, and it had to be equality, meaning we had to sit on the same bus with the people who were um, white people. It was equality that we were open to make decisions and no one hold us back from that. And I believe that's why Michael, Malcolm went down to Selma because he realized that sometimes you can't, you can't fight against the current. You must go with the current, especially when you see there's progress. 
Yeah, or especially when you see that um, there might be a more viable option or a more effective way of getting done what you're trying to um, get accomplished. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. We're talking fifty years since the assassination assassination of Malcolm X does his words um, still hold relevance. Um, Stephanie, I appreciate you joining the conversation today and adding your um, um, adding your thoughts to the conversations around Malcolm X here. Um, what, what, what were the social and economic conditions, from your standpoint, that were present during the time of Malcolm that gave his voice relevance because you know you can um, you can have these figures right you can um, have these position and these ideas but what gave his voice relevance because um, I mean he had a strong voice so what was relevant about that voice? His voice was go back to the beginning. His voice was because there were young black men who were being. Um, Held against their against their will, there were black men and black women who were not able to do things as far as they work and do everything they're supposed to do for their families. But politically and uh, social, um, as a sociological, I'm not sure, um, psychological, and even in um, the political system, politically being held against and held um, held away from those things that they have the right to. And so by he being the young man who had been in that situation and being in some way, his voice was loud enough and he had enough charisma to get the attention of those young men and those young women. Um, I think that what it was with Malcolm is that he was able to tap into that frustration. He was able to tap into that um, ability, I mean, the ability for for us to be able to connect with one another, because not everyone can do that. But I think what it was, it's like it goes back to what I said in the last statement, was that the evolution of Malcolm X had gotten him to a point he had to start considering and thinking of things that he was putting out there, because even, even though he was putting out some, they were connecting with them, he had to kind of cross-examine himself and say, hold up. I have people who I can speak and people will listen. I can tell someone to go left and they will actually go left. How much power and control is that? And as far as me and others saying my loyalty and my my um my the way I feel about something and my my passion can also be quite damaging. And so I have to be careful with that, and I believe that's when Malcolm started to really, his evolution of himself started to come out. He started to see ways, see things differently instead of working against those, working with them, and seeing how he can possibly be a help to them. I believe that's why he did what he did. I think you make a very interesting point. I know I was reading earlier uh, one of the things that his daughter said, that she said that um, Malcolm his uh he gave direction to black rage and black anger um so when we talk about the relevance of his voice um can you relate to what his daughter was making mention to did he did he tap into that rage did he tap into that black anger um or do you perceive him as being angry and um enraged itself or did he did his voice actually give direction to that anger both he was just as frustrated. I mean, he was still a young man. So being that he was a young man, he had moments where he tend to didn't think things through, like speaking against um, when Kennedy was shot, speaking, saying, the, you know, the, um, I think they say the roosters come home to roost. 
Yeah, or, come, um, coming home the yeah. yeah, so the thing is is that he had to he still was a young man who had a lot of anger and a lot in 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 the nation of Islam allowed him to express that frustration and that anger, but the, it was almost a bit of there was some control there though there was so much there was so control there because of the fact that the nation of Islam being so structured in the way they are. It was almost as if they took the frustration and that anger and that, that that part of him and that confusion and everything and put it in the ball and was able to control it and move it in the directions where they needed it to go. I think as he got older, as he started to read more and started to utilize that intellect that he, he possessed, that he started to be able to take that same thing that they was able to bottle up and realize that he can't speak out of term. He has to think before he speaks. He can't say certain things. There are certain times and places to do A, B, and C. He has to be able to understand this power that he had of this captive audience, that that captive audience was willing to go to war for him if he said so, and he needed to be very careful with it. And sometimes it takes maturity, a person to mature, to realize that he cannot do that. And I think that once he realized that, that's when everything started to move in a direction where he needed to go when he realizes that this captive audience, yes, they had the ability of take of, of hanging on his every word, but he had to be careful with that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, many, a, a lot of times, um, you know, I was just reading um, how Malcolm, from time to time would criticize King or the nonviolent end of um the civil rights movement and call nonviolent cowardly. But um a lot of times people who actually do the history of the nation of Islam well they would say, Well hey, you know, we're not talking about a political organization that was um that was that was pretty much on the battlefield, if you will. I mean, were these men who were coming in direct conflict or direct contact with um, these forces, if you will? Um, and I think probably, as you mentioned, as Malcolm began to evolve, the light bulb began to come on. Like, you know, maybe King has the appropriate approach. I mean, when you're talking um, dealing with these forces head-on and things of that nature, I recall one point in um, the movie Selma where um, there was a young man after after the assassination, I forget the gentleman's name, after the police had assassinate, assassinated him um, or shot him in the back, um, you, you have this, ang- you have this anger, um, you have this, this rage, and we can understand that, we can relate to that, but then it was the older gentleman of that community um, after the young man asked for guns and things of that nature and they wanted to go and get guns and um, go shooting at the police and things of that sort, then the older men were like, how are you going to outgun the um, the police force forces of Selma. You know, where's your army? Where's your navy? Uh, where where are your marines, so to speak? So a lot of times you have people who take positions or they make claims, and these these positions or claims are not sensible. You know, it's not sensible in the sense that it could cause a lot a lot more bloodshed and um, and a loss of life. So and a loss of life. So, you know, when, when you look at Malcolm, like you said, being a young man and him, him taking certain positions and maybe calling the nonviolent move, movement um, cowardly, uh, maybe that was the, certainly that was the young Malcolm because we saw how Malcolm began to evolve, how he began to reach out to other leadership um, leadership forces of the civil rights movement and how he began to tone things down. So to your point, um, but do you think that, do you think that uh, 
that machoism, if you will, or that sense of an eye for eye or um, by any means necessary. Is is that what young people today, is that what they hear, is that what they understand when they think about Malcolm X today, or do they understand um, the evolved Malcolm? I don't believe they know anything about the evolved Malcolm. Um, the one thing that they are taught, or not taught, let me correct that, because nothing's really taught about Malcolm. What we see Malcolm is that we have the pictures of him standing at the window with, window with a machine gun. We have him saying by any means necessary. We have him being that individual talking in his speeches where he's speaking about how the white man and, and how we need to take up arms and things of that nature. What we fail to, um, what we fail to see is the El, the, um, the El Shabazz the one when he actually became not just Malcolm but someone else he became a he became the the more mature Malcolm we don't see that person they don't speak on him because probably because it was mainly closer to the end of his life when it happened but at the same time it was still a very it was a very influential time of evolution of Malcolm and we still have to get to a point we don't see that part when it's being taught we still see the very um, very agitated, very um, angry, the very um, politically um, astute individual who was all about, hey, by any means necessary, forget turning you up the cheek, I'm going to turn around. If you hit me, I'm going to hit you right back, and then I'm going to pick up a rocket throw it at you also. You know, to speak, you know, so when you stop and you don't see that, I guarantee you, if we keep bringing up the movie Selma, and I guarantee a lot of children in that movie theater probably were shocked to even see Malcolm in that place. Asking to speak. There's nothing in the record books if oh those who took the time to really pay attention to read what's going on knew that Malcolm actually went down to Selma and spoke to the people. They did. They probably was quite shocked about that. They probably didn't know anything about that. They probably was like, What Malcolm doing down there? So the thing is is that we see Malcolm and we see Malcolm and we see Martin in two different spectrums. We see Malcolm on one end and we see Martin on the other. We never see them coming in the middle except for that time when they took the picture of those two standing next to one another. But that's the only time, but you still see them on two different spectrums because you teach them on two different spectrums. And both, yeah, if you look at it, both did mature and start to evolve in their thinking as you continue to look at the things they begin to say later, closer to the end of their lives. Because even Malcolm evolved in a lot of his thinking. Martin, you, uh, oh, you're referring to Martin? Yeah, Martin, I'm sorry, I meant to say Martin. Even Martin involved in a lot of his thinking, and if you listen to a lot of his speeches that he spoke on, he started to change a lot. He started to evolve and even thinking on different levels and where black people should be and what was going on and how black people were being affected, not just the march, marching and the whole idea of, of the civil rights movement itself, but the whole um, the whole um, peaceful and wasn't it? He started to get a little bit more, if you want to say, radical. And he was a radical anyway. I would never take away the radical part about Martin, but he started to get more politicized as far as his idea about how America was really treating the African American, the black man, the Negro, the color, if you whatever you decide to call yourself. Because I don't care what you call yourself, but. It, even he even started to come kind of towards the middle of the spectrum to where Martin was, I mean, Malcolm was kind of moving towards another end of the spectrum. So it's almost like both of them started to go through their own type of paradigm where they started, they, their world started to collide with one another. Mm. Would you, uh, from your standpoint, 
did it seem to you, just observing these two men, that Malcolm was speaking on behalf of a different segment of the African-American um, community than, um, than King? Of course. Martin was speaking to the church, the, the religious leaders, those individuals who actually was very up to NAACP, the SNCC, you know, even SNCC was a little bit on that, and Martin on the Malcolm side, so they were young, they were energetic, they was willing to do more, but the educated slash um, middle class black man who wanted to deal with things on a political, um, legislative type of uh, issues. Martin, I mean Malcolm, on the other hand, was dealing with the working man, the um, the, the 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 men who have probably been incarcerated, those who probably had the family but could not find a job, those type of things. Those men in the city, because you have to remember the Nation of Islam, they were really big in the north and in the city. Mark Martin was mainly in the south, dealing with voters' rights registration and things of that nature, and also the sit-ins for integration. Martin Malcolm was really the city, urban, hard, concrete, you know, things are going on up there with the black man, and you're dealing with, Malcolm is dealing with that hard, nitty-gritty, hard, where they were getting, not forget getting with water holes, there were other things going down. So you still have to kind of look and see they were talking to their two different demographics, even though the demographic was all black. Mm. Yeah, I think you, uh, I, I think you make a, um, a key distinction there, and, and maybe that's part of what resonate with um, this current generation or the hip hop generation, if you will. Um, that that aspect again, we talked earlier about Malcolm having um, done time in the in the penitentiary, having had run-ins with the police and things of that nature, and pretty much being. Um, just having a very difficult time, having some challenges in life and things of that nature until he actually joined the nation. So his voice, his message kind of resonated with um, the masses, the masses of black people, as you mentioned, the working class, um, the downtrodden, and things of that nature. And uh, many people felt as though King's message, as you as you said, uh, pretty much spoke to uh, maybe um, the black middle class of that particular day. So I definitely get your point on that. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three seven. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. We're talking fifty years after the assassination of Malcolm X. Does his words still hold relevance? Um, what do you think we could take away from um, Malcolm's legacy, his life, Stephanie? What do you think we can learn? We're talking about um, Black Lives Matter. Uh, we see a lot of we see a lot of that going on today. Do you see any of what's taking place? or what has taken place in Ferguson and um, in New York. Do you see any of that having its origins in the um, legacy of Malcolm? I see the very energetic, very volatile, very young, but lots of energy Malcolm X in this movement. I think that what this movement needs is a balance. I think we must not be so quick to jump into arms and destroy because we're angry. I think we need a little bit more or a lot more of intellect and thought-out um, strategies in how we're going to attack certain issues because I think right now what our problem is is that 
we got Black Lives Matter, but what what is happening is is that we're so quick to jump without even considering some type of process of let's let's consider and look these things through. Let's look at everything. Let's pay attention. I did appreciate that people still make their voices known. I know people argue against the marching and things of that nature, and they feel it's not effective anymore. But it does do something. It does let people know, okay, these people are upset about something. It may not do something. This marching today may not do something for what's going, what's happening right now, but some time later it's obvious those numbers are still there and those numbers are going to continue to grow because it's an action and it's a peaceful action. And then when we do that, most people are able to start taking some type of initiative for because you have, you have numbers. And one thing about numbers that politicians uh, understand that those numbers can no longer vote for them if they do not do what those those numbers request of them. I don't doubt about it. I appreciate you saying that. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three six one seven. We're coming to you now. We're talking fifty years since the assassination of Malcolm X. Does his words still hold relevance? What say you? Hey, John. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Good to hear from you, Shalanda. What's your thoughts on uh, Brother Malcolm? Hey, uh, sorry for the noise in the background. Um, I was actually at work, and then um, I left work, and now I'm – oh, go ahead. Thank you. Um, and I had a quick stop that I had to make, but I didn't want to not uh, support you on today. So I heard a few of what Steph, things that uh, Stephanie, you know, was talking about. And, you know, it's funny. You know, people – you know, young people typically look at, you know, Dr. King and Malcolm X as being like these radical leaders, you know, they take phrases without really understanding the meaning behind things. Like most people know Malcolm for saying, you know, by any means necessary, you know, but they don't understand what that truly meant, you know, and and, and the legacy that both uh, Malcolm and, you know, King, you know, w- what their legacies mean today. I don't know if it, and it's really sad to say, is I don't think, you know, young people really understand what the, what the value and, what they brought, you know, a lot of their freedoms and, you know, liberties that they have today is because of people such as Malcolm X and Dr. King, you know, those who got in the trenches and, you know, really fought, you know, for equality, you know, for people. You know, nowadays, you know, these young people, sorry to say, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, you know, are just lazy. They don't, you know, understand the power of their vote. You know, I, I heard you mention something about, you know, the Ferguson um, situation. And the one thing that I took from that is people not voting to to make change. The difference between our the Malcolms and, and the Kings from yesteryear to today is that they fought for change and we sit for change. You know, they fought to get certain things done. You know, they came together, you know, no matter, you know, if somebody got killed or the sacrifices that were made, we then in turn sit and then we complain about, you know, well, this isn't, you know, right and this is discrimination and this isn't, you know, going our, our way. You know, they're, they're discriminating against black people, but did you vote? <laughs> you know, what things did you do to create that change? And, and a lot of people just don't. You know, people have just become lazy. 
you know, I so make a point. I think one of his most famous speech, um, famous in terms of what the what the media tend to pay attention to, the ballot of the bullet, when he talked about yep. uh we talked about Selma and uh the very the protests in Selma and he was saying that hey, if we do if you do not allow blacks to have uh, political act access and things of that nature, then you're going to deal with another aspect because now, um, you know, you have this powder keg in the, in the African-American right. community, and, and, we, and we're demanding that we have, um, uh, that we're able to participate in things of that nature. Now, some might call that uh, um, good political posturing and things of that nature because at the end of the day, uh, maybe Malcolm understood that you can't, um, you know, call for that type of activity um, in this type of country and what that really would have meant right. for the masses of the black people to say, hey, well, if you don't give us the ballot, then we're going to pick we're gonna, uh, um, pick up arms and, and, and go to that next level, so to speak. So, but, but to your point, he did get to the point, or Stephanie mentioned, he evolved and he understood uh, the importance of having access to the political process, mm-hmm. being engaged in the political process, allowing your voice to um, to be heard. Um, allow your voice to be heard right on that political spectrum. So um, that's important. So because early on in his career, if you will, um, he kind of he, he you know he kind of preached a message of being separate, right? Being separate. But now you know you 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 begin to hear him say, well maybe we could begin to change what's going on from within. So why don't you hold your thought there? I want to come back to you. We have roughly about ten minutes left in the conversation. Fifty years since assassination of Malcolm X. Does his words still have relevance? I believe that's Andrew joining the conversation. Three one four. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. What's your thoughts about Malcolm X and his words still having any relevance today? How do you um, interpret uh, Malcolm X in um, um, in 2015? Well, that means that you're, that means that you're presuming that it had relevance at the beginning. You're presuming that I'm going to agree with you that his words had relevance. Okay. So you don't see. And, and, um, so you don't. Okay. Talk to me. No, because I, I would like to understand, and I'm listening to every, everyone saying what they're saying here today, but please give me a solid foundation on why and what substance uh, verifies and solidifies the fact that he had relevance in what he submitted. What I'm submitting to you is that we have Stokely Carmichael, we have all types of people that contributed, even, and we're making leaps and bounds when we even romanticize Martin Luther King, because Martin Luther King was seen as a troublemaker. Martin Luther King was also an outsider for a lot of people until alternatives came that made people think and they could utilize him in another capacity. He wasn't loved. He was loved after his death. And this is not only just for black people. This is for white people as well. So do I hear you say that from your standpoint, you don't you don't uh, perceive Malcolm's voice to have, to have had relevance 50 years ago? I'm saying it had relevance to some, some, but I would like to know who that group is, and I can also name lots of people who absolutely didn't agree with anything that Malcolm X talked about. So who is it relevant to? 
I think that's a, I think that's a very important question. I think that's a great question. Uh, I think uh, if I if I'm not mistaken, Stephanie, you can help me out here. I think I heard Stephanie make reference to that um, part of who Malcolm was speaking to was the working class um, black man here in America and understanding his plight, understanding his anger and his frustration. Am I correct in um, in your interpretation of Malcolm, Stephanie? Um, I was saying that he was speaking, yes, I was correct, but also to the urban, because he was mainly in the city. Um, I think um, being that you're dealing with the city and urban and also dealing with the southerners, you have two different type of groups. But I believe he really appealed to them due to the fact of what the black men were going through in the cities, per se. But that's that was my that's my interpretation. So. Well, if you allow me, John, what I would submit to you and to Stephanie to consider is that Significant numbers of African Americans during that time period had nothing in common with Malcolm. They thought that Malcolm and the Nation of Islam were a bunch, a bunch of thugs. They had very little in common with them. These are things that are romanticized after a death. People love to romanticize things later, but during that time period, people didn't glob on and latch on to the Nation of Islam. Malcolm. Martin Luther King, and that's what I'm trying to point that picture of reality that existed during that time period. Stokely Carmichael, under the right circumstances, he could have probably been that martyr. That's why we have terms like martyrs that exist. But what I'm, what I'm submitting to you about this relevance, because this relevance concept is that it's relevant to who, during what time period, and who can utilize it and get maximum value out of it. But again, the overwhelming majority of people if you do the demographic studies, most people didn't care anything about Mal- Malcolm X, particularly in the urban settings. The working class people certainly had nothing in common with Malcolm X because those people were about working. They were thinking the Nation of Islam were a bunch of hoodlums and people who believed in Mohammed. That's the way they would say it, Mohammed, and they certainly didn't believe in Islam whatsoever. So he was speaking to a small group until something came along that someone could leverage to utilize it in the news and things of that nature to maximize some type of return for them relative to Malcolm, but Malcolm was nothing to most people. So what, what what would you say, what was taking place in the country then uh, versus now in terms of social and economic condition that even gave rise to a voice like a Malcolm, uh, regardless of who he was speaking to? Uh, particularly he was speaking to a certain segment of uh, the American black population, but what conditions that even allowed for his, that gave rise to his voice? Well, conditions can give rise to any voice. Today there are people that do all types of things, and under the right conditions, circumstances, someone can leverage it. And that's all what I'm suggesting to you that happened during the civil rights era because we know the grievances that were being put forth even with the NAACP, you can look at Thurgood Marshall. We don't hear a whole lot about Thurgood Marshall, but I would throw that name out for most people to even consider. If it wasn't for the works, the legal works of the NAACP and people like Thurgood Marshall going to get that legal work done, we wouldn't be talking about any of this stuff. That's where the real growth came from. That's where our real rights came from, the legal work, not the rhetoric that people hear about about standing in front of a, a, a window with your with your AK-47 saying, it by any means necessary, and he didn't discharge a weapon at anybody. <laughs> no, I, I, I certainly hear you. You definitely um, 
uh, have definitely given us something to think about from the perspective of who uh, was Malcolm relevant to and um, under what circumstances that exist that give rise to those type of voices. Um, Solana, I don't know how long you've been with the on the on the call. I think you told me that she was just joining us there. But um, what's your take about what Andrew had to say in terms of social and economic conditions giving rises to certain voices? Um, Listen to what he had to say, but certainly uh, his voice resonated with somebody. And right now um, his voice has certainly resonated with the hip-hop generation. What's taking place by way of the connection that the hip-hop generation has made uh, with Malcolm X? Um, I will probably say more so in terms of um, what he uh, what he represents in terms of I hate to say this like his uh, violent appeal to people, you know. And it's unfortunate that you know the young people really don't take the time to really get to know their history. And I, I pretty much I heard Andrew and I mean a lot of the things that he said is true. You know, I mean Malcolm, yeah, when he joined the nation, you know, and I don't I'm not you know you know I don't know a whole lot about that religion. But I know that, you know, it was something that a lot of people reached out to as a lifeline to, you know, certain individuals to help get them, you know, off the street and to, you know, help them, uh, you know, walk on a better path. Um, I think, as Stephanie said, that, you know, uh, Malcolm matured, you know, once he, you know, kind of saw what was going on and, you know, he wanted to do better and to try to fight for certain causes. But I just think that with young people, they, you know, they see what they want. It's almost like being in a church and, you know, you, you uh, a pastor use certain scriptures to appeal to the masses, you know, when not understanding the, the whole chapter of, or the word in general. You know, so I just think that we really don't take the time to really get to know our history, to really know what other leaders, you know, like uh, Andrew said about, you know, Third Girl Marshall, you know, the, the legal component of it, you know, and, and that, you know, it, it's very political. And, and it took people like him you know, to really get, you know, to help pave the way, you know, for equality, you know, from the legal aspect, you know, but like Andrew said, you know, people do forget about, you know, the third world marshals or the lawyers of the world. But in terms of hip hop, I just think, honestly, that, you know, they're missing it. They they really don't get it. They're just taking bits and pieces, you know, whatever sales. They're not really, you know, fighting for any costs or anything. It's all about dollars and cents. Well, I, I, I definitely hear uh, hear you on that one, and I appreciate you for sharing that. And I definitely hear Andrew loud and clear uh, when you talk about you know the hip hop generation, how a lot of what Malcolm had to say has been infused in the music and things of that nature. Um, I think I heard Andrew make mention of that. You know, a lot of conditions can give rise to different voices and things of that nature. But it's certainly uh, one has to examine what those conditions are. I mean, here we talking about uh, uh, we talk about Mike Brown, we talk about Eric Gardner and the issues surrounding uh, police brutality and things of that nature. Well, Malcolm, he was talking about some of those similar issues and some of those similar concerns. Um, so when we talk about people who uh, feel victimized by uh, policing and things of that nature and now you have someone who could properly articulate those concerns and those um, those issues like a Malcolm certainly you're gonna um, gravitate towards him certainly you're gonna um, cheer him him on and see um, uh, and can relate to him or probably the, the, the another way of looking at 
at it is Malcolm actually was the voice of the masses or the masses of uh, um, that particular segment of the African-American population. Folks, I, I would love to continue this conversation. I, 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 I hate that um, the hour has um, drawn nigh, if you will, but seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. 589 I posted a very interesting article on my Facebook page um, entitled The Man Who Did Not Kill Malcolm. Certainly go, go back on the face on my Facebook page as well as the MTAS page to get that information and we can carry on about the conversation. I believe it spoke it gives a little bit greater detail as to what Andrew actually presented to us. I thought that was um, a great point that he made as well as Stephanie. But um, join us each and every Sunday 5.30 as we engage in thought-provoking conversations surrounding economics, politics and religion. Folks, we talked about today, Malcolm X, 50 years since his assassination. Does its voice still have relevance? Folks, remember Remember, MTAS is an organization that encourages reading and collective efforts towards intellectual enrichment. The community we live in, the society in which we decide, is a community and society that we create. I am responsible for all your insurance needs, questions, and concerns. 773-881-9555. Until next week, continue to be good to yourself and good to your family.